I want to speak uh, on uh, the third commandment. We're taking a bit of an excursion on our series, um, just going through the uh, Ten Commandments, which are something, as I said, I hadn't planned to um, stop off here, as it were, to such a degree, but just in, so impressed again by how practical these commandments are. So we're just going to have a, a bit of a digression. In our, I mean, it is related to our series, of course, but um, we're going to go through these and then we'll carry on with our series. So <clears throat> the third commandment is found in verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We noticed um, when we dealt with the second commandment last time that you know this business of making a graven image which God f uh, forbade was really um, related to this um, practice of witchcraft or magic in these Canaanite nations and you know really it's a way that the worshipper with their God and uh, this is what the Lord was forbidding with his people a way of a worshipper bringing the God down to their level so that they could manipulate the God. The God was made of wood or stone and can be just wheeled out at any old time and that's not the way God wanted, God expects to be treated. And that was the concern with worshipping God through images. We talked about the tendency of that in the not only in the Roman Catholic Church but other churches too and how although that's not the intention in the beginning over time the worshipper begins to invest in that image um, faith and worship and love and, and imagine that <clears throat> divine power somehow within the image itself well this third commandment I think is connected to the second in that it's a it's God forbidding his name to be used in that magical way that the, the Canaanite nations the pagans they would um, they would <clears throat> they would um, repeat and repeat and repeat and get into a frenzy they would repeat the name of their God and we saw that with, with Elijah and the, and the prophets of Baal don't we how they they dance around like <coughs> dervishes, just shouting the name of their God. And it's a way, it's really a forbidding of, of name magic, of using the, the name of the Lord, the, the, the Lord God Jehovah, as, as a way of, um, uh, you know, of, of putting curses on, the, on your enemy or um, in a sort of, superstitious way trying to get your plants to grow and, and all these sorts of things um, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain the, the word take there is literally thou shalt not bear thou shalt not bear up the name of the Lord the idea of the translators was that thou shalt not take up to your lips the name of the Lord in vain. Um, but it's normally, uh, over 200 times in the Old Testament, this 
This word Nasa is translated as, as bear or to lift up. Thou shalt not, it could just as easily have been translated, thou shalt not bear the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In vain, shav <clears throat> uh, in the Hebrew means vanity, it means nothingness, emptiness. Thou shalt not take up the Lord in emptiness, you not in nothingness, in this um, vain meaningless way so the idea is that God's people um, should never lift up the name of the Lord to their lips in an empty in a, in a, in a purposeless or in a, in, a, in a way that misrepresents God or uses him as some kind of lucky charm and so Today, this verse is, is naturally taken, normally it's, it's interpreted as forbidding what we would call swearing or blasphemy, and that's an important aspect of this. But blasphemy is not that unrelated to probably what I think is the original, how the original hearers would have heard this as a forbidding of name magic. It's related to that. When someone um, blasphemes, um, it's a related, really. To, it's got this. It's the same disrespect to God. Um, taking the name of the Lord in vain. So when a, ma a modern person, we often hear it, don't we? Uses the name of God in blasphemy, even if they don't believe in the, in God, um, or they they haven't really got a. A malicious purpose and not putting a curse on someone um, in principle it comes from this root of, of, of name magic of witchcraft of, uh, of this evil paganistic um, culture that the Israelites were to be separate from at the core of this sin is disrespect for God and the Lord says he will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain it's a general um, prescription. God doesn't say how he will, you know, how, what he's basically. God has left it general. God will decide how he deals with someone who takes his name in vain. So, in simple terms, this is a, a commandment that we shall not swear or curse or lie or deceive or conjure with the holy name of God in any way or misuse it. So in terms of its application to us as Christians today, surely this speaks to us of the need for us to have reverence for the name of God. Um, God has revealed himself in no small measure uh, through his name, or through, we should say, his name's plural in scripture. And part of honouring God is honouring his name. In fact, um, if you, listen, if you listen to some of these um, <clears throat> clips on, on the troubles in Israel at the moment, you can hear um, the reference to God and the modern Hebrew name for God is, in, in our language, is the name. They call God the name. Um, that's <clears throat> how he is known. So this third commandment arises from 
the self-declaration of God at the beginning of verse 2 here in in chapter 20 I am the Lord thy God so the Lord's name is shorthand in a way for all that he has revealed about himself and of course it's in Exodus isn't it? Exodus 3 that um, God reveals to Moses at the burning bush his personal name you know it's, it's a hard thing for us to imagine that you know we, we have a Christian name or a first name our name but God has, God has a name which is equivalent to that. I mean, and he revealed that name to Moses in Yahweh, or the Lord. If you've got a Bible which has got the Lord in capital letters, then it's really the personal name of God. And this is a revelation of God, of God himself. Let's just quickly read Exodus 3, verse um, 13 and 14. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So Moses is saying, You know, <laughs> You're sending me, Lord, to these people. If they ask, what, 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 what's the name of the person who sent you? you know, what shall I say? Verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This is a revelation. This is God's name, but God's name is a revelation of his character. This tells us about God's self-existence. I am that I am. His self-sufficiency doesn't need anybody. Um, he chooses to have a relationship with us, but he, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't need us in that way. He wouldn't cease to exist without us. His eternal nature, he had no beginning, he will never die goes on through eternity in eternal ages he always has been and always will be in his he always has been what he is and always will be what he is he never changes and of course god has many other names but that's his personal name yahweh or jehovah the lord but he has many other names which give uh, which conveyed other aspects of his character and his personality and his abilities. Um, and these are some of the reasons why God says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, because his name or his names are an aspect of his character. Of, and if you misuse God's name, you're insulting him. Um, Yahweh or the Lord was viewed by the Jews <clears throat> as God's personal name I am that I am so so holy that the rabbis would not say it they would not write it in their the translation of, uh, in their translation or writing out of the Old Testament um, they would write 
<clears throat> YHWH. In fact, um, the Jews, the rabbis, replaced the name Yahweh with Adonai, the Lord, Master, from which um, the English translators used the word Jehovah. God has many names and that would make a great church or family Bible study to go through the different names of God in the Bible. Um, you know, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, El Elyon, the, the Most High God. All these things, all these names tell us something about God. Adonai, Lord, Master. Um, El Olam, the Everlasting God. Isaiah spoke of the, the everlasting God. And, and there are many others. And you see, in the Old Testament, a name was, was more than just a way to identify an individual. It, it explained the character of the person. Now, that wasn't, always, that wasn't always a good thing, of course. I mean, we think of Nabal or Nabal in uh, 1 Samuel 25. Uh, well, Nabal's name conveyed it, not just who, you know, this man who owned a vineyard and lived at <clears throat> whatever the name of the street was. It revealed something about what he was like as a person. You see, um, Abigail, his poor wife, had to explain to David that Nabal was a fool. Uh, and Nabal actually means fool in Hebrew. He was just like his name described what he was like as a person. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him, said his wife, so embarrassed by his behaviour to David. See, in a positive way, God's name reveals his character. Um, you know, <clears throat> I say you, you, you can, you could, as a family or, or a church, we, you know, there's all sorts, these names which would be wonderful to study. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Then there's Kanab. Jealous, the name, the name of the Lord is Jealous. Um, Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, and so on and so on. You see, the New Testament <clears throat> ascribes to the Lord Jesus Christ um, these very names of God. And his, the names of the Lord Jesus describe his identity and his ministry. And significantly in, in the context of our study in Exodus, seven times the Lord Jesus describes himself through this I am formula, if you like, this name formula, I am. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. I am. This was God's 
personal name and the Lord Jesus has no problem just taking that name because he's God. And each one of these is rich in, in Old Testament symbolism. Again, it's another free preaching series for, for Lee or someone or a study to go through these I am descriptions of the name of the Lord Jesus. This was Christ's understanding of his own identity and ministry. The Lord Jesus, you see, saw himself as the as bread for the hungry, as the gate and the shepherd for the sheep, um, for the wayward sheep, for the lost sheep. He saw himself as the resurrection and the life for those who were not just sick, but dead. He saw himself as the way and the truth and the life for those who truly seek the Father. He's the way. I am, said the Lord Jesus. And, and for those who, who really want true life with God, he says, I am the true vine. Um, he gives life to the branches. And he, of course, he has a, a host of other names and titles. The Lord Jesus, his birth name, human birth name, um, all the way to, to the Lamb of God, the last Adam, the image of God, the mediator, the Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the first and the last, the lion, the lamb that was slain, the white horse rider, and go on and on and on. All these names about of Jesus, they, they say something to us about his character. Paul sums it all up in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then there, there are literally scores, over a hundred different names in scripture for the Holy Spirit. Um, and these names I'm not going to go through don't worry all these names but they again they tell us the character of God the Holy Spirit uh, and there'll be another great Bible study to look at the names of the Holy Spirit the name the Lord Jesus um, most commonly used for the Holy Spirit of course was um, Parakletos the comforter literally the one who comes alongside um, the Lord Jesus said and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever the Holy Spirit is the comforter now the point of all this is is that to take the name of the Lord in vain is to take God's character in vain to take the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and make it an empty thing. To make it a nothing thing. And God's name is highly exalted. Psalm 148, 13, Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. 
And you know, as Christians, we must not take God's name in vain. Um, anything, or take anything that his name expresses about God in vain. You see, these the, the second and this third commandment, I think, as I said at the beginning, they go together. Have no carved images that, that steal your affections away from me, says God, for I am a jealous God. And now, therefore, don't treat my name as empty, as trivial, as insignificant. Um, evangelicals, I suppose, have typically taken this third commandment in a, in, in a very narrow way, and narrow interpretation, which is fine, uh, a forbidding of um, swearing or using God's name in blasphemy, and that's certainly a big part of it. But Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he, he describes five categories of actions which constitute taking the name of the Lord in vain. He talks about hypocrisy, making a profession of God's name, but not living up to that profession. Well, that brings it home a bit, doesn't it? I don't expect many of us go around cursing God. I hope, hope you don't. But we may not be so strong on this point. Covenant breaking. Making a promise to God and not keeping it. I promise you, Lord, I won't do that again. Just give me, forgive me, Lord, this sin, this time, this one last time. And I promise I won't do it. And we go back and do it again. Or, or rash swearing. Or false swearing, Matthew Henry says. Or using the name of God lightly uh, for charms or spells. There, there are lots of different ways, in fact, which we can take God's name in vain. All of which should never be found among us as Christians. The warning stands, as I say. Um, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The Lord, no, the Lord has forgiven us our sins. But you know, if we deliberately take his name in vain as Christians, God will find a way to discipline us. He won't hold us guiltless. Um, he doesn't specify how he'll do it, and that's up to him. And so, of course, there's, there's direct blasphemy, a direct insult to God and his character. This is when someone curses God, looks to heaven and shakes their fist in anger to God and curses him. Um, there's an example of blasphemy in, in Leviticus chapter 24, 15 and 16. Um, and there's, this, was a, this records a pronouncement of the Lord on a, this type of sin. Um, it relates to the case of Shalomith's son, who had blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. Uh, and the scripture says, And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, 
shall he be put to death. So blasphemy was dealt with very severely in the Old Testament. Perhaps more commonly heard today, um, there's blasphemy all the time, I don't mean to deny blasphemy, but perhaps more common is just this idle use of God's name. Um, casual swearing in texts and WhatsApp messages. Yes, I do know what WhatsApp is. Um, these OMG thing, thing this line, and, and just taking God's name in vain. God's name treated as nothing. And regrettably, this is even heard amongst Christian people at times. And then God's name is taken um, in vain, as, as Matthew Henry says, through rash swearing. You know, I swear to God, I'm telling the truth. Using God's name to convince someone that um, you're going to do what you're promising or, or what, you're, what you've said is the truth. And um, you say, I, I'm, and I'm sure I've said this myself, I'm speaking the gospel truth. We shouldn't say it. Or as God is my witness. You know, unless you're in a, in a, in a court where you're taking a, a, a real oath, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't make any oaths. We shouldn't rashly swear. What did our Lord Jesus teach in Matthew 5? In verse 33 following, he says, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one, your hair one hair, white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Well, that's the Lord Jesus. We don't often think about that sort of thing, do we? The Lord Jesus says, keep things simple. Don't, don't swear. Um, don't invoke God's name unnecessarily into conversations unless it's in an honouring way. So these are some of the things, but and then there's a very, the very serious issue which we come across and see too much of, particularly in the charismatic world, um, when a Christian or someone claiming to be a Christian um, speaks to the church or speaks to others on behalf of God when God has not spoken to that person. I expect many of us, uh, well, not, perhaps not the younger ones among us, but us older ones, I expect we've all had the experience of someone coming up to us and saying, brother, I've, got a, I've, I've been given a word for you. Um, or, 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 or in a meeting and, and someone says, well, God's given me a picture, or God's told me this, or God's told me that. Um, and I've been, I want to share this dream that I've had with you. Now, it's certainly true that in the New Testament and the Old, that God spoke directly to his prophets and apostles um, in that sort of way. But does God speak to Christians so in that direct way today? 
with direct messages independent of the Bible for God's people? I'm asking that as a question. Are, are, are the gifts of um, tongues and interpretation of tongues and, and prophecy and the more revelatory gifts of the Holy Spirit, are they still in operation today? I'm not going to get into that subject too much. But, you know, if you sincerely believe that, and many do, then you better be sure that God really has spoken to you. Because many claim that they've had a message from God. And you better be sure that he's spoken to you and it's not coming from your own mind. Or it's an attempt on your part to, to show off and to be super spiritual because, you know, it's, it's, I've seen it myself. Some people want to, to give the impression that, you know, God's always talking to, the, to, to them. And they're in a, they've got this special kind of relationship to God and that gives you power over other Christians. You're the one who God turns to when it comes to, um, you know, directing the church because you, you get the messages. You know, there's a warning in scripture. This is, this is a way of taking God's name in vain. Deuteronomy 18 verse 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Well, it was a very serious thing. And, um, you know, I know, you know, we mustn't ever, and sometimes, you know, I've been guilty of this, we lump all charismatics and Pentecostals into one category because many are very, take the Bible very seriously indeed. And um, they would say, well, yes, but prophecy, these prophecies, and they, they all have to be tested against Scripture. Scripture is, um, you know, is obviously in a different category than these, these prophecies. But the point that I worry about is that if God has, if God who, whose word is always inerrant, God whose, whose word is always infallible, if God, has, if God has really spoken directly to a prophet in the church today with a word for the church or other Christians, and yes, it's been tested against scripture and, and everybody's happy with it, why do we say that that word from God is of a different category than this Bible, this written word of God? It's from the same God. Surely it should be added, shouldn't it, to the Bible because it's an the infallible word of God has come to a prophet. I don't see how you can escape that conclusion. So, and I know, we, we, you know, there are people that are genuinely believe these things. No, I believe God's book of revelation is sealed. Not not revelation from the word. I'm sure there's more light and truth to come from the word, but there's no more word of God. In terms of revelation. It would take a thousand lifetimes to understand what God's already revealed. So we don't really need any more do we? It's a very serious thing to claim that you've received a word from God and it's not true. I don't, I don't actually even like it when 
I don't think I've done this. If I if I ever do, tell me I'm tell me off. Um, but I don't even like it when a preacher gets up and says, "Well, um, I've I've really got a message from the Lord today." I mean, the congregation will know if it's a message from the Lord without you saying it. Um, you know, let the Scripture speak. It's got its own authority. You don't need to to give the impression that you've had some kind of direct message from God. And then there are, I guess, another same the same sort of point is are those Christians or. Um, Preachers who make predictions or prophecies about the future, the date of the second coming or an impending financial crash or um, other certain judgments of God. And then I, I just I can recall all these big name, no, I mustn't exaggerate, some of these big name American preachers certain that Donald Trump would be re-elected, that, that he was God's man and that they, they'd had a dream or, uh, you know, or a word that Donald Trump would be re-elected. Did any of them ever apologise for their prophecies that didn't come true? Um, again, that's another way we can take God's name in vain. Deuteronomy 18.22 When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord if the thing that follow not nor come to pass that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously thou shalt not be afraid of him. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I don't think I'm ever going to be tempted to make a prophecy in that way, but we, if we ever hear it from anyone, it's a very serious thing. But perhaps of all the categories Matthew Henry gives, the most important and relevant to us is the way we as Christians can take the name of the Lord God in vain through hypocrisy making a profession of, of God's name, but not living up to the profession. Um, as I say, this third commandment could just as easily have been translated, thou shalt not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's a sense in which God is saying, do not, misrepresent me to the nations when you go into into the land do not misrepresent my character to these pagans don't dishonor my name by claiming to belong to me and then living like the pagan neighbors on the nations around you you see like the church the, the church today it was israel's mission to bear god's name among the nation the nations israel must not carry or bear up that wonderful name in vain, in emptiness. And when it failed to live up to its calling, it made God's name empty. It misused God's name, misrepresented, misrepresented the name of the Lord. God is saying, if the nations draw the wrong conclusions about my name from the way you live, 
among the nations. You have profaned my name. You've taken my name in vain. Now, and I think this is an important thing for us to understand. And, and it, our, uh, the church's mission in the world flows from this Sinaitic covenant and the responsibility Israel had to bear God's name among the nations. It's, it, it's carried on right through to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we to bear God's name to the world? How are we to fulfil our mission to the world? Well, we have to bear his name. Yes, we preach the gospel. But if we preach the gospel and we live like rotters, if we live sinfully, what's the point of that? No one's going to listen. We bear God's name. We honour his name. We make sure we keep the third commandment by mainly through obedience to God's law and living holy unto him. Exactly the same way as it was for Israel. Central to Israel's mission was the bearing of God's name. So I just want to think a little bit about that. How did, that, how did all that really work? So here we have this nation called to be holy, separate unto God. Given this moral law, given these Ten Commandments. And they are to bear God's name among the nations. How, how did God set it up? To, to, how did God set Israel up in order to fulfill that mission? Well, at the very centre of the system, if you like, God set the ministry of the high priest, Aaron, and the priests, the, the Aaron's sons, the Aaronic priesthood. And symbolically, Israel's mission to bear God's name was pictured almost like a drama, really, in the way that the high priest was clothed, the way he was dressed. I just want to read, in fact, can we all read together, this dressing of the um, high priest, Exodus 28 and verse 36 and 37. So this is this is this is the high priest, and this is how he was clothed. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it, like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. So here, here is a man that literally is bearing God's name. Aaron on his forehead is going to wear this gold medallion and it will be engraved like the engraving of a signet ring and what is written on it is holiness to the Lord. And they were to fasten the plate to his turban with that inscription, the inscription of a signet ring. 
And the high priest also had other names that he bears. On his chest, he has this breastplate with these 12 precious stones on. And they are also engraved like the engraving of a signet ring. And the names are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Look at verse 29. <clears throat> and Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. And then on his shoulders he has two big onyx stones with six names on each onyx stone. Again, the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, God... Um, Aaron, I should say, has, bears the name of God up on his forehead and he bears the name of the people on his shoulders and on his chest. He represents God to the people and he represents the people to God. He's bearing the name of the Lord. And this high priest is, is set in the centre of Israel's life and worship. And then there's this wonderful aspect of, um, of the Aaronic priesthood, the, the high priest's um, ministry, which we, we read of in number 6, 22 and 27. We often use this as a kind of doxology, don't we? And this is where the priest who's bearing the name of God, confers the name of God on the people through a verbal blessing. Verse 22 of Numbers 6. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee, the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. And this blessing, this putting of the name on the, on the people of Israel happened every day. There were certain sacrifices made and then there is this blessing, this putting of the name. We read, of, we, we won't go into it now, but in Leviticus chapter 9, if you want to make a study of it, you, you read of the daily sacrifices. These sacrifices were made. The people were made right and clean before God by these bloody sacrifices. And then the high priest confers the name of God on the clean, washed, forgiven people. They literally had the name of God upon them. So you see, this bearing of God's name by the high priest went far wider than just the high priest and, and his sons. It's a ministry that went to the whole people. In a sense, the high priest set by God in the centre of Israel's life was a model of what should be true of the whole nation, not just 
Aaron should be holy unto the Lord, but the whole nation should be holy unto the Lord because God's name was upon them. And this was Israel's mission. To be holy unto the Lord, to, to bear his name among the nations in, in a way that honoured God's name. Yes, the, the high priest was a model, a, an example there every day, placing God's name on them. But they were to, to live that out amongst the nations. And there's a wonderful thing I want to share with you that in Deuteronomy chapter 26 Verses 18 and 19. This is Israel's mission. This is God's prescription for his people. Uh, Deuteronomy 26, 18 and 19. I want you to notice something. I read it. It says, And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee, and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honour, and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. Notice the link here between the high priest and the people. God says that what they have to be is what's written on the forehead of the mitre of the high priest. They should be holy unto the Lord. Except this time, it's not just holy unto the Lord, it's a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The high priest must be holy, but so must the people. The end of verse 19, and holy people unto the Lord thy God. The same words as on the high priest's forehead. The entire nation is kadosh, sanctified, separate, set aside as belonging to God. The high priest is separated to God's service, but the whole people are separated to God's service. As I say, the high priest is a kind of example of what is true of the whole nation. So we begin to see, don't we, as we build this up, what a terrible sin it is to take the name of the Lord in vain, to live hypocritically, to misrepresent this name to the nation which the high priest bears in God's presence and which he confers on the people the very character of God and then Israel goes and lives like the nations. What, there could be no greater way to take God's name in vain. Don't claim to belong to me and live like your pagan neighbours, God is saying by implication. And as Christians, we are to bear God's name. It includes how we speak his name, but it's more than just how we speak his name. It's how we bear his name. In the life of Israel, bearing God's name was, was far more than just doing a quiet time and going to church. It, was, it included the whole of life, relationships, how you treat people, how you pay them, how you weigh out goods honestly. 
This is all, all, the, all the, 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 the these chapters and chapters of law, which we'll, we probably won't get to in any detail. Their job was to represent the Lord to the world through agriculture, through the way they ate, the things they didn't eat, the things they did eat, how they handled finances. Their mission was to represent God, to bear him in holiness to the whole world. Exodus 19 verses 4 to 6. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on the eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel notice they are to be a kingdom of priests not just the high priest it should be a kingdom of priests this is Israel Therefore they look to the priest and his clothing to find out how they are to live as a model. And, the, and Jehovah says they are his sagala, his peculiar treasure. God has relationships with other nations, of course, but no relationship is, is as intimate as his relationship with Israel, his nation. They are chosen and set apart to represent his name. That's why God expects so much from, from them. Look at all those laws. That, down to sowing your crops. And not mixing your seeds. And not mixing the wool. And with, with other materials. And right down to the fine deal. You think gracious. How do you? It's, be, it's because they're God's people. And because they're God's people. God expected a lot from them. They bear his name. They are to demonstrate the character of God to a watching world in all of life, in farming, commerce, family. The Torah, in a way, is the fleshing out of what it means for Israel to bear God's name. And they must not take his name in vain through hypocritical living. Because God, in a way, tied his name, his reputation to his people. They could drag his name into the mud. And they did. They often lived like the pagan nations and God sent them into exile. The Holy Land literally spewed them, spewed them out, the scripture says. They went into exile and the nations mocked. We read of that in Exodus, Ezekiel 36, how... They, they were scattered among the heathen and um, the people said these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land God even says in, the, in um, verse 21 he says I had pity for my name it's a very strange phrase but they dragged God's name so much into the mud that God said I had pity for my own name You see, the heathen naturally assumed that Yahweh was not powerful because his people had, been, had lost their land. They'd 
They'd misrepresented God. They'd taken his name in vain. This, na this nation which had been called by God's name. Well, dear friends, let's, for, in, for the last five minutes we need to bring this down to back to us. You see, the Lord Jesus, when he, he taught us how to pray, said, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. To hallow something is to, is to make it holy. And, you know, and, and it's a strange phrase when you first hear it because God can't be made any more holy than he is. And yet Jesus says, he says, after this manner pray, hallowed be thy name. Make holy God's name. Our Father in heaven, make your name holy. What is it? I mean, the only way to understand that, is, understand that prayer is in the context of what we're talking about now. That um, God who cannot become more holy, yet his people either bear his name unto holiness or they profane his name. Jesus sees a people around him living in unfaithfulness to the covenant um, not representing God well to the nation and he says Lord may your name be hallowed again how is God's name made holy through the obedience of a covenant people and that's our mission too as Christians we, make, we hallow God's name by obedience to his name and Christ sends his disciples out into the villages and towns of Israel and ultimately to the nations to bear his name. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the fledgling church on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and in the, up, in the upper room a powerful anointing of the Spirit comes upon the people of God in a way that had never happened before. Thousands are added to the church. But the mission remains the same. The commission of the church is the same. And and Peter almost plagiarizes Exodus in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 it says here talking to the church a mixture of Jews and Gentiles but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light He's borrowing directly from Sinai. The mission of the church is the same mission as Israel. To bear the name of God. Not to take his name in vain. We are a peculiar people, a holy nation. You and I are a royal priesthood. We're set apart because we're his treasure. We are a kingdom of priests. Well, we have a model priest too. We don't have we don't have Aaron as our model. We have the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest. They are they are modelling to us how to bear God's name. We have such an high priest, Hebrews eight one, who is sat on the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in the heavens. He shows us how to live as priests. 
how to live holy to the Lord. And we're to live holy in all aspects of life, just like Israel was meant to, didn't. The epistles talk about living holy, not just in a kind of private religion which no one ever sees, but in the family, in the church, towards the government, and so on and so on. We, no longer, we are no longer covenantally under the Mosaic law, but we're still called to obedience, the obedience of the gospel. It's still how God's people bear his name. And the Christian life is a priestly life. Like the high priest and his sons, we are to be holy to the Lord. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Every single one of you and I are a priest in this covenant. We don't wear a turban. We don't wear a breastplate. Um, but we are exhorted to wear priestly spiritual clothing. And Paul in Romans 13 verse 14 says what we are to put on what? The Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Like the priests, we are to be clothed in priestly clothing, in holy apparel, not literally, but spiritually. Ephesians 4.22, we must put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, take off the dirty clothes, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness Paul in Colossians says put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man well I'm finished now do you and I take the name of the Lord in vain by the way that we live do we bear his name? Do we hallow his name? Are you priestly? Because God's name's on your life. He's put his name on you. In fact, it says in the end, in, in Revelation um, 22 and verse 4, it says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. You see, God's name's been on us through all of life. In a, as a kind of invisible mark but one day his name will be written on our foreheads we'll either have the name of the beast or we'll have the name of Christ it's your choice but we belong to him we bear him his name is on us and so dear friends let's live in such a way that we never take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.com co.uk